Hello and welcome to Zip Radio Podcasts powered by Synergy. I'm your host Madhura. The topic for today's episode is Kubernetes versus serverless. When to use which? I am joined today by one of our regular guests, Vinayak Zogwekar, who is the CTO at the Synergy Prime Group. Joining us along with Vinayak is Deepesh Rani, Solutions Architect at the Synergy Prime Group. Deepesh brings in a vast experience of working in the technology industry across various domains. Today, Deepesh and Vinayak will discuss the advantages, feasibility and architectural impact of self-managed infrastructures like Kubernetes and fully managed serverless infrastructures like AWS Lambda. So welcome on board Deepesh and Vinayak. And thanks Madhura for uh, the introductions. Uh, so Deepesh, I'm glad you're here today and welcome to the episode. Hi, thanks. Thanks Vinayak and Madhura for having me here. Yeah, so wonderful. So uh, we have been talking about the different ways in which uh, one can deploy containers on AWS and uh, other cloud infrastructures such as AWS, maybe Google Cloud or Azure or Alibaba. And, you know, there are variety of options available. So it started uh, where you know you could just put your container in an automated environment such as ECS. Right. That was a few years back, and then we had COPS, which is the Kubernetes open source operator with a very good command line interface where you could put operators and you could do many of the things that you would like to do to orchestrate using Kubernetes, having your own EC2 instances. And uh, you know, spinning off your own uh, Kubernetes cluster. So that was the other thing we used to do. And then uh, EKS kind of uh, in 2018 started becoming more popular. And off late, I think EKS is uh, a good option for somebody who would not like to take on the headache of managing his or her own Kubernetes cluster. Right. And in between, uh, we all along, we had this development of uh, having serverless architecture using uh, lambdas. And then uh, you didn't need to worry about any of the things, including any, you know, not even your containers or what goes in your pod, nothing. I mean, you just put the code right. and it worked with, uh, using a lambda. And, right. uh, you know, that was, uh, again, the other option. So. This is a variety of options that a user or a developer is faced with and you need to make choices. So, uh, you know, what is your opinion and how does one go about? So this is a spectrum of shared responsibilities. At one end, you have, you know, something like serverless lambdas where the entire responsibility of pinning up containers, putting it in whatever environment in the orchestration, whatever clusters you have making it fully available. I mean, you don't have to worry about availability zones and all that with a Lambda. There's that one end and the other end you have you, your own cluster where you're managing it and you have to worry about everything, including how much you are paying for it and uh, you know uh, what is the availability and all that. So how does one go? I mean, this is whole spectrum. So how does one go about making choices of uh, what is the right way of deploying my application maybe you know in today's day and age could be a microservices based containerized application right so you're right when like many of the time people 
get into this dilemma like what type of development model would suit for them whether they should go with lambda or they should go with you know container based approach and the reason why people get into this uh, lambda is the lucrative benefits that lambda offers so it totally depends on uh, the nature of your application what exactly your application is going to behave in the production so that is where you know this choice may come because if you see talk about function as a service or lambda as the deployment model but uh, to be honest i feel like instead of it's a deployment model it's a architectural pattern the way you are going to write your application needs to you know have this event driven architecture because it has to respond to the events so all your code that you were writing earlier which you know you were thinking it as a part of a big application right now you have to think your entire application as a collection of smaller units called as a functions and that is where you know lot of developers initially would face challenges like how the application would look like so instead of a big huge building blocks they now have to think in terms of smaller units of the functions which are going to interact with each other so just to give you an example on the cost wise uh, and i did this exercise with a simple aws calculator also before think of something like uh, if your uh, lambda function that you have written is going to receive 20 million hits in a month and if you do a simple math uh, with whatever aws calculator offers you then you can find out the total cost of execution of this lambda function would go around 80 to 90 dollars per month and if you uh, implement the same logic over a kubernetes cluster the kubernetes cluster for eks on aws comes with the master fixed price which is around 73 dollars per month so you can see here the almost same amount which lambda would consume for an execution is almost consumed by the master itself which is not going to do any business logic execution and for executing your business logic you will also require some worker nodes so assume we'll go with uh, two t2 uh, large or t3 large which is the latest family offered by aws t3 large worker nodes which is going to take that load and if you compare like 20 millions these two nodes can suffice then you'll find that it consumes around 183 dollars for a month now this is fine when you have 20 million uh, request workload if this is a predictable workload imagine like if the workload increases it goes to around let's say 90 million uh, hits or the request per month then the pricing becomes tricky in that case your instances that you are spin up may be able to take all that load or if you can spin on the peak hours maybe additional worker nodes in kubernetes still the price that you get would be much less than what you have on lambda so lambda is pretty good for typically workloads where you are not sure how the pattern would be like how many times the request would be coming because the best pricing model that they offer is pay only for whatever you are requesting like pay only for the request and the idle time is not counted whereas in terms of kubernetes maybe you are getting a traffic but half of the time your application is idle like it is not doing anything but still you have to pay for the resources that you are uh, utilizing so in that case if the load is predictable and if it is pretty high then i would always recommend to do your pricing mathematics against lambda to your kubernetes cluster and recently in uh, december 2020 aws announced that your kubernetes cluster worker nodes can be spot instances also 
earlier that was not a facility because on the peak load you may spin up additional node inside your kubernetes cluster but then the pricing was something concerned because it would cost you the same as that of on demand instances but from since december 2020 you can also spin up the spot instances for kubernetes that helps kubernetes cluster cost to keep to you know lowest as possible you can and plus also if you are going on a model where you can do upfront reservation for your instances then uh, that cost can be controlled so lambda has a lot of advantages in terms of like you don't have to worry about high availability you don't have to worry about the scalability and your applications or the functions would be always available there but then the lambda becomes tricky when the load increases and then you have pricing model which is quite hard and tricky to understand so this example i have given i have compared myself uh, anyone can go ahead and you know put values as per their application and figure out what exactly would provide them a cost benefit so yeah. this so, is uh, this could, yeah, yeah. So this is very helpful deepesh and thanks for going into all the details of costing and so 20 million to 90 million is something where you know you, we are already talking of high volumes and majority of the customers and particularly when you start developing a new application it doesn't start with such loads right i mean you can start with something and then move on to something else so i have two questions here so one question is that the lambda architecture itself as you rightly mentioned forces you to think in a certain way right and you know it's event driven uh, because every lambda as you rightly said is triggered by an event right and it forces you to do kind of event sourcing by default i mean there's no choice there also right. there is lambdas by their very nature have to be short because exactly. can't have a long running lambda its life has to be short So that is another constraint that the lambda puts on the developer. And the third constraint is that it has to be more or less stateless. You don't have access to local storage or tons of RAM there, right? And that so, is, yeah, and that is what happens, Vinay. Like um, a lot of brownfield applications, if you try to refactor them and put it in lambda, uh, you have to undergo a major rework or maybe re-architecture thing because old applications, brownfield application, they were all you know hovering around the state management if you remember our old days like everything was working around sessions and so on so yeah. there has to be some significant effort you know to rearchitect your application if you want to move it to the lambda right yeah so uh, you know that is what it is a blessing in disguise for a application which is not brownfield which is a greenfield application so right. i think it would be right to say because in a greenfield application you also have you have no prediction of what the load is going to be exactly and maybe there is no need to have even a single ec2 instance running when you are not even sure whether a user is going to use what you are building right? right so in that case it makes a lot of sense for greenfield projects where the developer is going to think of the architecture from scratch and lambdas force that discipline on the architect to think in a certain way right so now let's say you have now this is something which is a theoretical question maybe we have never come across such a situation before but you know when you think of you know the way applications run and uh -huh. if you take a brownfield application typically which has been kind of monolith 
converted to a microservice kind of situation. In that situation, compared to that, you know, when you think of a Lambda, which is ground up, somebody has built a Lambda architecture with a lot of these serverless functions talking to managed services. So you have a lot of these managed services available. So, you know, whether it is RDS or Atlas, DynamoDB, I mean, you don't have to worry about how you're getting your data. So that can be, in fact, outsourced to a managed application. So a combination of these two as a paradigm, in terms of the total cost of ownership, not, not just looking at the cost of development or cost of deployment, but looking at the total cost of ownership, which also includes the cost of maintenance, bug fixing, and uh, you know the amount of the kind of pay you would end up paying your developers when they spend their cycle. So in this overall picture, what would you advise? Right. I mean, what do you think should be the direction we should take initially or eventually? Yeah, so, as you rightly said, you know, for a project which is just starting up, for them, Lambda can be a wise choice because they don't have to invest anything into creating infrastructure or anything like that. From day one itself, they can be in operational. The developer can focus on writing the code and getting the value out of it. And then a lot of services when it is interacting, for example, if it is using AWS services itself, since Lambda is also in AWS a service, the most of the time, the traffic between the services within the region is free. So there also you get some cost saving. The only danger in this thing is as and when you you know expand the scope of your product you tend to end up getting married to the vendor because if you have built anything in lambda and then your functionality is growing day by day you have to use a lot of aws service to make it work for example aws api gateways would come into the picture for monitoring and all you have to depend on cloudwatch events would be coming from all the aws uh, event sources most of the times and so on so in the end, you may end up in something, you know, having a tight lock with the vendor. And then if you want to, you know, switch to some other cloud provider to gain a cost benefit or whatever other benefits you have, then it would be a difficult switch. That you may not face when you are dealing with Kubernetes application because then everything is centered around your containers and they can run anywhere where they find a container friendly environment. So that is only a danger like cost wise, you will definitely get advantage in initially also, as well as for the project for which you don't know how much load it would going to experience when it's in production. And for typically the clients who are running MVP, the Lambda becomes obvious choice. But for a client who may want to, you know, take uh, advantage of running infrastructure on multiple clouds, for them, it would be a bad choice because then you are tightly coupled or vendor locked with one cloud provider because every... Uh, but uh, let's talk about not being vendor locked and managing your own Kubernetes cluster. I mean, mm-hmm. so you need to worry about so what the cluster would look like, how many nodes you will need, what capacity of the nodes you will need, what kind of where you would be putting them in which availability zones and you know uh, you also need to worry about in case there is auto scaling then how you would do load balancing auto scaling 
so there is some availability of that within kubernetes and containerization but then you need to worry about not only that you need to worry about having your own observability own instrumentation in terms of whether you're using you know loki or, or right. prometheus prometheus yes. grafana whatever i mean then you need to worry about everything and then you need to worry about how you are going to deploy whether it's a jenkins in the running there which is going to trigger your builds and i mean that's a whole lot of work right i mean and then you end up making mistakes there Uh, right it's not like uh, you know you would do it all perfectly and uh, how's that as compared to something where you're not really required to think of any of what i just described right so then there are two types of people vinayak i would say like one who loves abstraction they don't care what is lying behind the scene and one set of people uh, they need full control so there could be an application you know which are very particular about the underlying operating system that they are using there could be some flags or parameter you might be setting under on your vm or into a docker container to make application work as you expect so if i am using lambda jvm then i have to go with whatever uh, jvm version that they have supported and in that if i need any modification if i need to add some os level parameters i can't control that on lambda so that is where you know this distinction comes like what you should opt for if you need full control then obviously the pain for that full control you have to bear so if you have a power that comes with the responsibility yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah but the moment you want something to be automatically done you have to give up that control perfect right. i mean there are many examples of that, yeah, that i mean is. some yes yeah, some companies uh, vinayak they continuously do a pen test of our infrastructure and in lambda you lost that ability because you are all totally dependent on aws they will also right. do uh, the audit of what libraries we are using are they vulnerable there would be frequent vulnerability scans there are some clients with us which do follow this practice they engage third party auditors which uh, you know inspect our infrastructure they look for all uh, libraries or whatever api calls that we are making uh, the third party thorough audit happens and every time if they find any vulnerabilities they let us know like this is the issue that they are seeing in case of lambda you won't have that thing like you just trust aws focus on your business logic and that's what i said like for clients who need control over their infrastructure they need to see what is coming in out what is happening they need control then for them lambda is not the choice uh, you also mentioned that lambda kind of brings some kind of you get locked into a vendor now right. you know if you look at kubernetes as a way of deploying your own clusters and all that how mm-hmm. many people are really doing their own kubernetes i mean they may be doing kubernetes docker and everything that we just described but how many right. of them are doing it all by themselves using cops as against using eks so isn't there a sort of affinity uh, between you know users wanting to use eks because there's uh, several of these headaches that we just described are taken care of by uh, aws uh, and but then in turn you're getting locked into aws so the advantage of not being locked in is actually theoretical right i mean practically if you see most mm-hmm. of the people who are using are using eks because that has several advantages 
you know you don't have to worry about so many things because many of the decisions that you would make are made on your behalf by for example what should be the size of your worker nodes right right you don't have to worry about that i mean how many people how many developers have the know how to even know that such and such application would require so and so size in terms of uh, its compute and storage and all that so it's i think um, practically if you see a lot of people are already locked in using eks so not being locked in is it a real advantage again that uh, depends on your business case some people they do multi cloud deployment so they might seek an solution which is easy to you know port on multiple clouds but moving from one cloud to other cloud even though you no matter how much services you try to keep away from the native cloud platform there would be some rework you have to do because you would be using some add on services like sas or maybe sqs and so on so if you are shifting a cloud either you go with a hybrid model or you use the entirely all the services from the other cloud that you are opting for so depends on how much minimum effort you would require you know to switch the cloud so in that case i find containers bit you can say more friendly because deployments or maybe docker files that you don't have to change that remains same it's just like the uh, the way we deploy application into the newer managed cluster the commands might be changing here and there so you might have to tweak your ci cd pipelines a bit to do the deployments i mean no, this but, is what i feel yeah but then you know perfect i mean there is no no debate on whether we use containerization or not because containerization is the primary unit because of which uh, you know you can work in a cloud agnostic kind of uh, environment where you can easily go from one cloud because everyone supports docker and containerization so there's no doubt about that but what we are talking about is management and orchestration now right. when it comes to management and orchestration you end up for some reason or the other utilizing some of the goodies that are offered by the cloud vendor in this case aws and then you kind of there is uh, so you know i have used aws and i have used in my past experience you know spinning up my own cluster and doing everything managing everything and there is a significant difference the amount of effort and it is more easy and you can say worry free way of managing so have we got a similar thing that can work like i have heard that uh, there are push button deployments available where you can shrink wrap kubernetes application using helm charts and then right. seamlessly move from cloud to cloud so is it something that is theory or practice i haven't seen this application or tested myself on own so maybe i won't comment on that but there are some cloud providers like azure they are making an effort to make even kubernetes as serverless so right now they have taken the headache of managing uh, the master nodes from us they would also take the headache of you know managing the um, worker nodes from us so that way you just build your container and just tell i want to run this deployment pinning of the node and bringing up and down that would be easily managed by the cloud provider so azure serverless is the service you know uh, can provide that uh, i'm not sure but if amazon has how many so that is interesting but uh, you know who decides like 
if my workload requires what node right i mean uh, the sizing of the node that is one thing and as to if i am going to have a pod which has got a bunch of containers uh, where you know whether there are replica sets and how many replica sets i deployed across how many multiple availability zones so who takes those decisions there yeah so that would be totally abstracted like how the lambda is abstracted to us when we say run a function then we don't know where it is running we just provide our parameters i want this much of compute capacity and i want this much of memory capacity so same thing would happen it would just read our, our requirements from our deployment file this is the container requirement this is what i want for this container or this pod and then that requirement how in the background the node is scheduled on which it is running that would be totally abstract to us yeah but then it's the same thing right i mean for example now let me argue that you know many of the auto scaling features that are available are based on what is the load on compute or right. what is the load on your memory and based on that auto scaling happens when they see that a server or node is loaded now but if i want to do auto scaling based on certain other parameters like what is the length of a particular queue right message queue for example or something else i am mean, just making it up right uh, i mean I, i want to predict uh, based on upcoming load and at uh, 12 o'clock or so i want to uh, scale up based on whatever is that time uh, a temporal scaling based on some application feature right which obviously the servers don't know obviously the either azure or uh, aws won't know now for such a thing you are losing control right i mean when you're right. yeah so that i think that would be an interesting conversation to have on service mesh or something like that an architecture where but i think we need to reserve that for another episode i think we are on on the time and i think we have actually exceeded a little bit so is there anything that i should have asked and i didn't ask you like uh, we talked about i mean we haven't directly talk about the Uh, benefits and drawbacks of uh, lambda but then i guess we covered that while we were discussing like we didn't bring it as a question so i don't think there anything is missing i mean otherwise it would have been an obvious conversation right dipesh what are the advantages not like that like we just were discussing in general and i think yeah. we covered uh, the advantages and disadvantages both wonderful yeah so thanks a lot dipesh thanks uh, for sharing all this information and i hope that this is very useful for our listeners so thank you very much for coming here today and sharing your ideas my pleasure vinayak thanks thanks vinayak and thanks deepesh for taking the time to join us today i'm sure this episode will help our listeners in making the right decision while architecting their technology stack and thank you everyone for joining us today If you are looking to accelerate your product roadmap, visit our website www.synergy.com for more information. Stay tuned to future Zip Radio episodes for more insights on technology and agile trends. Thank you.